the four o'clock football frenzy. Presented by Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans. Call him now at 702-577-2600. The four o'clock football frenzy on Cofield and Company. Football time. Although we got some basketball headlines. Andre Drummond making his debut for the Lakers tonight. Bryce Hamilton, UNLV star player, testing the NBA draft waters. Not planning right now to sign with an agent. And VGK Hockey. Puck party going down here at the TI. Drafts, just five bucks. Got collectors, glasses. Take advantage of that one. You got the sports book right here. You got the kiosk if you just want to be, you know. A non-people person, go talk to the people out the window. But come on down, place your bets, watch the game. This place is uh, triple the size it originally was. Parking is free. You come right down the escalator, easy walk, and you're in. Take advantage of those drink specials and excellent, excellent, high-level sports bar food menu. Crunch, crunch. (laughs) Candy, what does this mean? I mean, I know what it means on the surface, but what do you think this means? The Bears said no to a 17-game season. They're going to do 17 games. It was uh, ratified Yesterday, NFL is going to play 17 games in the season, up from 16. Last time they changed this was, what, 1978, where they used to have 14 games. Why do you think the Bears voted no? I think the Bears voted no because they realized that we all need content that's not pro day. Because the jokes write themselves around, do we need another game (laughs) of Bears football, right? But I don't know. Like Realistically, uh, you read the story and – Ownership is driving this, as they have been from the start, to a 17-game season. When the next CBA comes around, likely to an 18-game season, they want more TV money. They want a bigger piece of the pie. So why on earth would the Chicago Bears not want to be a bigger part of that? I I don't know. I mean, the the pieces that I read didn't really make clear what the McCloskey's uh, hang-up on this was. A uh, big signing today in Seattle as they extend Tyler Lockett upwards of $70 million. I'm not saying you don't have to spend money on any receivers, but I'm still it, – it just got me thinking today. I'm still very confused about what Pete Carroll wants, what the Seahawks want, what Russell Wilson wants. Do they want to be a high-powered offense where they're throwing it all over the yard like they were at the beginning of last year, or do they want to be the grinded-out, you know, run, run, run that Pete Carroll wants? What are they – what are they going to do? What are they going to settle on? And, and is everyone going to be happy? It certainly seems like no one's going to be happy. And the thing is, the Lockett signing feels like one of those things you do when you want to do enough to say that you did enough. Because Russell Wilson's been complaining and doesn't feel like he has the protection and doesn't feel like he has the offense. But what Russell Wilson is really saying is, will you just take the damn shackles off me? Will you just let it be like it was the first half of this season and accept that in 2021, interceptions are going to happen from time to time. If we take as many chances down the field as we do, there are going to be some times when the ball gets picked off. And that is not the end of days, but that is Pete Carroll. And that is Pete Carroll philosophically. It's why Brian Schottenheimer was going to get blown out of that place as fast as he was. So now you see them sign Lockett, and you say, okay, it seems like a peace offering in some ways, right? Here is your number two receiver locked up for four more years. But at the same time, is Pete Carroll going to philosophically say, I'm going to let the best player on my team 
lead my offense. And you know what? It just doesn't seem like that happens consistently. Well, if they want to run the ball and also give Russell Wilson another peace offering, uh, they help themselves, right? I think uh, Gabe Jackson, formerly of the Raiders, was picked up by the Seahawks in a uh, minor trade. Three-year deal now for Gabe Jackson, $22.6 million. We'll get into the details of uh, Rodney Hudson renegotiating his deal in Cardinal land. When you look at Gabe Jackson, do you look back at the Raiders and go, why didn't you just do this? If you needed to save some money, why didn't you just renegotiate and stretch out the money a little bit? He's guaranteed 10 uh, this coming year. He gets a $9 million bonus and a, a, a million-dollar uh, base salary, and then he makes 6-6. Six and six. Or am I looking at it the wrong way? It appears the only way you can look at it right now is that you needed a much larger bag filled with much more money for Colton Miller. And that's the entire driving force between what we've, uh, with, with what we've seen with the Raiders here, right? Because the Seahawks were not only willing to give up a draft pick, but then restructure the contract. So what did the Raiders do? I mean, we can't do anything but look and say, hey, we have two linemen who were sent out who were veterans, who were making good money. And then we turned around and took a guy who was two years away from free agency, ripped up his deal, and rewrote it. Caleb Herring is on the way. We're going to talk some more Raiders offseason moves with uh, another wide receiver brought into the fold. And UNLV football practice has begun in the spring. And we've got some questions for Caleb, who played quarterback for the Rebels and calls the games like do we have some reasons here now to be optimistic? Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans brings you the 4 o'clock football frenzy. Dial 702-577-2600 now. Home prices have never been higher and interest rates have never been lower. Get your mortgage tune-up today by calling 577-2600. Justin Fields is not falling. But he doesn't feel like a lock to be the second pick, which is what it felt like he was before this season began. Of the five quarterbacks who will go high in this draft, the most physically gifted is Justin Fields. That's inclusive of everyone. That's inclusive not only of Trey Lance and Mac Jones and Zach Wilson. It is inclusive of Trevor Lawrence. You are listening to Cofield and Company, live at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside Treasure Island. Mmm. Greeny. Stereotype much? Talking up Justin Fields, I would argue that physically gifted overall, Zach Wilson may be more physically gifted, and uh, Trey Lance may be as well. And uh, let's not get into me complimenting Trevor Lawrence because it could get emotional, as I got emotional at the end of the Jets season when they blew their chance at Trevor Lawrence. I love quarterbacks. Love them especially if they can take the Jets to the promised land. Caleb Herring, I'm not objective on you guys. Love you. What's going on, buddy? Hey, thanks, man. I appreciate quarterback love. I, I feel, I, there's <laughs> like a, a, a father-son thing here with you and Trevor Lawrence. It's, it's comical how much you love this kid. But, no, I, I, obviously I appreciate quarterback love as well, man. Well, it's, com- it's comical how bad the Jets have been, and I figured this was the guaranteed guy to give me a 10-year quarterback. Uh, we've never had a franchise quarterback in my life who lasted beyond three years, so – uh, does that give you a little insight on the creepy relationship That's, I have with this dude who doesn't know any idea who I am? It's, it's painful to be a Jets fan is what I just heard. Yeah. You haven't had a franchise quarterback in that long? It's funny that Jets fans were, like, super excited about getting Trevor Lawrence, and 
the rest of us were just like, please don't let him go to the Jets because his career will be ruined before it gets started. Real That's nice. kind of like the not Jets fan. I'm sorry to put it to you that way, but that was, that was a non Jets fan way of looking at Trevor Lawrence there. This has gone in a, a swell direction. I basically came in and said, I love you, and then you're like, uh, you're dumping on me. But we have a special hey, relationship Ca- as well. Caleb, Caleb, make sure to remind him about Rutgers blowing a nine-point no, lead in the last four minutes to a Final Four team because that just will Listen, make the whole thing go a whole better direction. Let's not do that. I was, I was on the Rutgers-Cinderella story bandwagon. I wanted it so bad for Rutgers, and I, I even I, I sent a tweet with Steve in it because I just wanted it to happen. I could see it brewing. Turned out it was Houston. Houston's that team, I think, this year. But – I would be fired up if it was Rutgers because that came out of nowhere with what that team was doing. Is there any chance the Jets fall in love with Justin Fields? Uh, could Fields be better than Trevor Lawrence? Well, there is a possibility that, that looking through a specific scope, depending on what you want your offense to be, what you want your quarterback to be. And I, I would say, you know, if you are willing to commit to sort of a read option type of play, and I, I get Trevor Lawrence is an athletic quarterback too, he can and can do things on the ground as well, but and Justin Fields, especially running that 4-4 at his pro day and just his physical build, the size and stature, um, especially compared to Trevor Lawrence at his pro day. It looked like Lawrence had lost a lot of weight uh, for his pro day. He looked a lot thinner than you know people remembered for him. But I, I think Justin Fields is just as capable as Trevor Lawrence. But if you want to cater an offense to his specific skill set, namely that ground game and what he can do with his legs, uh, I think you, you could say you could say there's a future where – you look at Justin Fields' NFL career and Trevor Lawrence's NFL career, and you could say that Justin may fare better. And I, the, the, the thing about Fields, he, it was a lot that he was number two. And I, I, there was times that the, during the season when, when he's playing at his best that he was a clear number one team. Like he was the best quarterback that I was watching last season. Right? And there, there was times, like glimpses of it. Maybe not as consistent as you want to be. There was times in, in the, like the, the second half against Indiana where he kind of disappeared. Um, and things like that. But then you look at what he did against Clemson in that in the college football playoff, and you say, how could this guy, at the end of that season, with what he did and the way he played in that in that uh, in that semifinal game against Clemson, against Trevor Lawrence and that Clemson Tiger defense, that that NFL caliber confusing defense that they run up there, how could you look at ha- that body of work and say he fell, um, you know, from number two to number three or four, wherever you think he fall into? Um, I'd say Justin Fields is a clear number two. Um, in this draft, and if anybody would be, I think, lucky to have him at number two, given that he had the right pieces and the right structure around him. So uh, I think there is a world that Justin Fields could be looked at as better than Trevor Lawrence, and I'm not opposed to saying that, objectively speaking. I mean, we're past the point now, Caleb, where the idea of a running quarterback in the NFL is taboo, right? You took the Ravens building the whole thing around Lamar Jackson to make it look like something that can work. But if you have the skill set of Lamar Jackson, then, yeah, you can run that. And, you know, Justin Fields is clearly a better quarterback throwing the ball in terms of what we've seen at the college level than what we've seen from Lamar Jackson, right? It, it seems like it's just more a matter of saying, okay, if you take Justin Fields and if you want to do that, then you have to build the whole system around that skill set. Yeah, and they're not even back to Lamar Jackson, even farther back we've seen examples of people with worse arm talent carry the team to the promise. And you look at what the Niners did with Colin Kaepernick and his arm strength, his arm talent was nowhere near either uh, of Justin Fields or I think Lamar Jackson as far as just being able to throw the ball and complete passes on a consistent basis. So it can be done, but the mold has kind of been broken. There's still a reluctance by the part of some NFL executives and, and coaching staff 
to fully lean into that style. And I think that's why the Ravens have had success with it. They just leaned into it. Our, our quarterback can run the ball, and we're now playing with 11 guys on offense. There's 11 guys on offense that can hurt you, or you know, six skill position guys, seven skill position guys that can hurt you um, and, and with getting yards or things like that. Um, when you play with a true pocket quarterback, you don't have that. And I think that kind of has been the, the, the idea of a dual-threat quarterback and could you find the perfect balance. I think Justin Fields is close to a perfect balance between a guy that can seriously hurt you with his arm throwing and seriously, like really seriously hurt you with what he's able to do with his legs on the ground. And not just in designed runs, but in improvised plays as well. So I definitely think that the NFL has finally um, kind of started to embrace the idea that quarterbacks aren't this, I guess, monolithic idea that they have to do the job this way. And you see that with the success that of Lamar Jackson, who was the MVP of the league uh, a couple years ago, and uh, Patrick Mahomes and, and things like that. So um, moving and being able to, to run are now vital parts of, of NFL teams. And, and I, I, for one, enjoy it. It brings an added dimension to every game. And, of course, being able to protect that quarterback when he gets outside and decides to run the ball is part of the equation as well. We see the Raiders this week give a massive extension and an early massive extension uh, to Colt Miller at left tackle, $18 million a year. Wasn't going to be a free agent for a couple of years. So, Caleb, we've talked on this show with you about not really understanding a lot of what the Raiders are doing. Does this at least give you some sense of, okay, this is why they wanted the money, because they wanted to put the money into Colt Miller? Well, yeah, I, I think it, that makes sense. And looking at it that way makes sense. But at the same time, that also makes it not make sense. I think because a lot of money was tied up in the offensive line. And it made sense to kind of free it up by dealing offensive linemen, namely Trent Brown, with a big contract up front. So that made sense that you're trying to deal it. And I, the anticipation is to build a more complete roster around that. So it, just, it, it is a little confusing that then you turn around and spend money back into the offensive line, um, which now will make the offensive line money issue relevant again. But I, like you said to start, it is important to protect your quarterback. So I understand it from that aspect. If you think that Miller's a guy to protect your quarterback, you pay him. You lock him in, so he's there. Um, but I still think that the, the, the bulk of the Raiders' issues has not been tackled with this offseason. And the, the, these moves that they're making, um, you know, the wide receiver acquisitions, the offensive line re- tearing it down and rebuilding it, uh, picking up a running back, these things don't really address the elephant in the room, which is the defense needs help, like, really bad. They need help on defense. So, um, we'll see. I, 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 I do think that this makes sense to kind of sure up that offensive line because it, it looked real touch and go there for a minute with the, the guys that were walking out of the door. Joined by Caleb Herring, former UNLV quarterback, UNLV football radio analyst here on Cofield and Company on your Wednesday afternoon. All right, so now, Caleb, uh, we've seen that the 49ers make their big move. They're going up to the number three spot. We just talked about how you feel about some of the uh, quarterbacks at the top and what they might be interested in doing. So what's the deal with Jimmy Garoppolo and the fact that the Niners are talking about potentially keeping him? I mean, I thought we were past the days of a quarterback having to sit for a year, especially behind a quarterback who it's clear that if you're drafting, you're drafting to replace him. Yeah, I, I think uh, with, with a ready-made team, with a team that's ready to go, um, I think, and especially with a team like the 49ers, who have you know kind of the positions that you want to have to help a young quarterback, which is a good tight end, have one of the best tight ends in, in football when he's healthy, obviously. But 
Um, when you have that available to a young quarterback and your offensive line is good and then you have a solid defense um, on the other side of the ball, I think that the idea of sitting your quarterback for a year kind of uh, it, it, it loses a little bit of steam. You can have a rookie quarterback come in and succeed in, in a situation like the 49ers. So I think the Niners jumping up to number three is interesting. I think uh, ideally, I mean, this is dream scenario. If you go on some of the draft boards these days after you know the, the pro days have been completed, Zach Wilson is now number two on the, the quarterback list, uh, depending on who you ask. But the Niners jumping up to number three put them in a position where they potentially could go after a guy like Zach Wilson. I actually think that would be a good fit for what the team does, what his talents are, the way he plays. Um, and then, you know, always going to think back to the BYU connection with Steve Young going to the Niners and things like that. So, I mean, th- that's probably why it popped into my head the most. But I see a scenario where Jimmy Garoppolo isn't a 49er anymore. If the, 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 the draft goes the way the Niners want it to, I see a situation where Garoppolo's dealt out and the Niners can then, with a rookie quarterback, kind of reshore their roster with what they get in return for Jimmy G. Um, and I, I know one destination that probably will be willing to give up some things for him. And if he made a return to New England, who knows? But, you know, those, there's all kinds of possibilities. But the Niners making that jump to number three shows that they have intentions to go get a quarterback. And I think there's a face that Shanahan made on the sideline during that Super Bowl when, when Garoppolo missed a, a wide-open receiver for the win by about 10 yards that just said it all as far as what he thinks that Jimmy Garoppolo is capable of and if he's the guy to get it done and get the Niners over the hump. So I, it's not out of the realm of possibility that Zach Wilson or, or a, a quarterback replaces Jimmy G this year and, and Jimmy G is out of San Francisco. Caleb, you mentioned pro days, and I mean, if you follow social media at all, all of our feeds have been exploding with throws against zero defense and how far a guy can throw the ball and all of the things that will never exist in reality. But, of course, we know the, 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 there are ways of evaluation for which these things are helpful. So take us through the worth of a pro day. What, what, what do you think is really the value of these, uh, I don't know, these meat markets, workouts, whatever you want to call them for the teams and the quarterbacks? Well, I think there's a couple of, of, of things you could get from it. One, I, I don't like the, the idea that this pro day is so heavily weighted and the spectacle kind of become for these guys. Um, but I do think that because it is a spectacle, you have the, the element of pressure to perform. There's something about being by yourself um, on a field and throwing routes on air that is difficult. I mean, it, it's tough to, to throw it to, from, from personal experience, to throw it to a, a, a spot without the spot being kind of funneled to by defense or the defender. So uh, for throwing a guy open, like you can throw a comeback to the perfect spot because you know where you're it because there's a defender there. Um, so you put it right on the side. When there's so much more room for error, it's easy to kind of get relaxed and be comfortable and not as precise with some of the throws. So that added element of pressure with the, with the you know, being alone in a, in a bottle, basically, when you're on the field like that, um, kind of shows you something about a guy's, you know, precision and how actually accurate he can be. Then you see things like the mechanics, whether when he's when he's at his best, when he's trying his hardest and focusing on his footwork the most, is he mechanically sound? And do his shoulders drop when he's going to make a throw? Uh, is he is he overstriding on his release? How quick is his release? Um, actually, when when it's on there, you can see those kind of things. But the idea that you know simulating these. At these days, it's gotten to the point where they're simulating like scramble drills and simulating throwing off their back foot. These in-game situations that are scripted, um, you know, that it, it just, it's so synthetic, and you really can't get an assessment of on the field how good this guy can be. 
I could go out there right now and put on a phenomenal pro day. If I knew the script, I was practicing these throws for months, I could go out there and be accurate and, and kind of impress people, quote-unquote impress people, with what I do on a pro day atmosphere. But I'm not going to be able to translate that to the speed of a defense rushing me and um, bodies moving on the field. So there's no real way to gauge, I think, in, in that empty environment how good a guy will be on Sundays. But I, I guess it's the closest thing we got outside of one day they're going to start having you know, seven-on-seven seven pass skellies for pro days to really kind of evaluate a quarterback. Because he might look pretty doing it, but if he's throwing interceptions during that pro day, it, it feels a little bit different for, for a quarterback analysis. Caleb Herring's with us. Caleb, let's talk a little uh, spring practice uh, with UNLV. Uh, take us back to spring practice. What is it like when you first start off in terms of the optimism? And is it a clean slate you just freaking completely forget about the year before? Because obviously the Rebels didn't accomplish what they wanted to, and that was win some games. Uh, completely clean slate, or is that tough to kind of erase last year? Yeah, you know, I think there, there's kind of a happy medium of uh, it being a clean slate and then also remembering whatever happened last year. I think you, you want to build, and I think that's the, the tough part with a college career or a football career. The tough thing is to not always have to start from zero. You take the good that you had, the, the progress that you made, and then you build from there the next year. So um, hopefully you went to the offseason, you were able to recover, injury-free, things like that hit winter conditioning and instead of just getting back to how strong you were last year during winter conditioning you get stronger than you were the winter before um, and then when you come to spring ball instead of having to start from zero as far as the playbook and things like that you build on what you learned last season and so that's how you continue to grow by the time you're a senior you're now a seasoned veteran and you're able to kind of do this whole thing in your sleep um, for UNLV obviously it's going to be a clean slate I think you want to wipe oh and whatever out of your system as quickly as possible you want to get to some actual installation of the playbook and, and the culture, as Coach Arroyo said to the press during uh, one of his press conferences, this is the first time that this staff is going to be able to actually start installing culture. Uh, that's one of the kind of big things culture gets thrown around a lot, culture and also the playbook. Like It's going to be one of the, the first time during a spring practice that they're actually able to run install and have you know weeks, five weeks here, really, essentially, of, of installation of, of the playbook and the systems on both sides of the ball. So it is a time to be optimistic. It's a time to be fired up about getting to what you want to be, finally starting to put those blocks on top of one another and, and building a program up the right way. So I think it is important that you, you are optimistic in this time as a Rebel fan and, and as you know anybody that's a part of the Rebel program. But um, obviously we're kind of behind the blinds again with, with the restrictions as far as our access to seeing this product on the field. But uh, you got to be optimistic about the work that's being done and, and trusting that the staff that's been constructed is, is going to put on one heck of a spring ball and the guys are going to come on the other side ready to go. Candy, I know you thought uh, one of the comments from Marcus Arroyo, or at least it caught your attention. What was it about something about unrecognizable? Well, I'm hoping maybe Caleb can shed some light into the mind of, you know, either, whether it's the coach or the program to where – Marcus Arroyo was talking about how he wants the culture, obviously, to change. I don't think that's a surprise to anyone. But he said that he wanted to be where, when players came out this year, the culture would be, and he used the word, unrecognizable from last year. And so I guess I, it just struck me as a little bit odd. Obviously, everybody wants to get to a point where you're not thinking about, oh, and whatever. But at the same time, you want to look at last year and feel like, okay, you were at least building the foundation of something. Otherwise, it would feel like kind of a lost year. Yeah, so I, it, it's, it's a little bit of both for me. I get, I get that 
that take obviously that because you don't want to. You were the coach last year, you know, right? Like you, you don't want it to be that unrecognizable. Hopefully, some things will be similar. But I, this is just the way I viewed last season in general. For and I, we we talked about this before last year when it was finally announced that the Mountain West was going to be jumping in and having a season. That for some teams it was going to be ugly, regardless of who was coaching, who was playing. It was going to be ugly, and UNLV was one of those teams that was in such a state of transition. Um, and already kind of, you know, uh, an, an underproducing team in the Mountain West to begin with, um, you, you throw all those things together, and that makeshift season, late season, without installation, without spring ball, without summer workout, all those elements, you kind of knew that what you got as a product during practice and on the field was going to be very much makeshift. And um, thinking about last season, there were times last season when we, we talked to Coach Roy, and he said they only had enough people to do walkthroughs, and they couldn't really construct the practice the right way because the lack of bodies with COVID and, and things like that and trying to be social distance. So I do think that there's room for that this year to say I want the culture to be unrecognizable. And then I look at, you know, what you're trying to do almost like a first-time spring ball with Coach Roy. You're trying to really establish your own culture. And I think you do want it in some ways to be unrecognizable because last season produced 0-6. Um, you know, the, the program hasn't been to a bowl game since, 2013 like these things you want to kind of separate yourself from and become an unrecognizable team i don't know um maybe that might have not been the the appropriate choice of words and the way it was worded but you get the feeling that where he's coming from is the culture needs to be such that you think that when you walk into this practice you're watching a winning football team you don't see an 0 and 16 you don't see mistakes happening left and right you see a team that's about their business fired up to be here and ready to go out on the field and win. I, I, I take the optimistic side of it, but I, I definitely get where you're coming from that, I mean, hey, you were the coach last year. You want to recognize some of the things, or at least say that you put some of this culture in last year and started some of the process last season. We need some input from Caleb on a very important issue to close here. Uh, Caleb got caught up in a discussion last week. Uh, I was talking to Curtis Terry and some listeners on Twitter, and we were talking about the senior discount at restaurants, the senior discount <laughs> This is really for both of you guys. I went to a restaurant uh, two weeks ago, breakfast. They had the senior discount. I was eligible, but I felt guilty ordering. And it was going to be, it was, a, it was a lumberjack breakfast for like a nice price. What should I do? Because I'm eligible. Do I take advantage of this? Is it giving up? Am I not working the system? What do you think, Caleb? What do I do? You know, this is, this is a tough situation man we're all gonna get here one day yes. when the senior menu is is reachable it's attainable for us and we can all choose to handle it different ways but steve i gotta tell you the system has taken advantage of you for 50 years you need to take advantage of the system yeah. I, there's no shame Woo. in going ahead and ordering from that discounted senior menu i mean seriously Let's take it. it how you can get it my friend I, and while you're at it i'll be there to enjoy and we can find a way for you to be able to order two lumberjack specials and kind of slide one across to me. And I'll pay for both of them if you're willing wow. to do it for me, buddy. All right. All right. <laughs> Candy, is this shameful? You know, I, I truly am 51 going on 26 in terms of maturity. Fair. <laughs> but how how could I top? That That was not only a take from Caleb. It was an inspirational speech. Like, like he, he was like, it is time for you to get back at the system and get your lumberjack breakfast. <laughs> I love it. Really good, really good. All right, Caleb, we'll talk to you. All right, guys, awesome. have a good one. Take care. I like how he uh, somehow, you know, he's going to make out in the deal, too. 
going to get a second lumberjack breakfast. The best part is it wasn't subtle at all. It was like, Cofield, I'm going to fire you up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to coach you up. And then we're going to eat some sausage. Yeah, Ooh, okay. You know what we should just <laughs> – yeah, I'm just going to repeat the line. Then we're going to eat some sausage. Visit Cofield's Corner on LVSportsNetwork.com for access to the latest podcasts and best interviews. For Dustin DeHart's Club 99, back to Steve Cofield. All right, so basically uh, this Versus is like a musical version that they stole from us and Club 99, which I stole from another show. Is that true? They, nope. they, they have a contest, and then they get raided by people on the Internet. Is that what Versus is on Instagram? Where, where is it? Rated? Yeah, it is on IG Live. If you're familiar with that, which I don't think you are. No, I'm not. <laughs> uh, they are. I mean, they are. I mean, rated is not the right term, but I mean, they're sort of graded throughout as people are watching, right? Yeah, yeah. There's. Well, it started off as kind of like a competition, and then it just became more of a like, let's just showcase, you know, and then they started picking artists and, and bands and things that it was more of a like, uh, like, for instance, the most recent one was Raekwon and Ghostface Killer. They're from the same group. So it was more of just, yeah. So. Oh, hold on. Hold, hold on. Ari, you got to stop right there. You got to stop right there. Cofield, what group are they from? I have no idea. Raekwon the Chef. Never heard that name. Ghostface Killer. All right. Keep All right. On. One, one, yeah. more, one more hint. They're like one of the most like widely recognized groups they, of hip-hop in they, they the also, universe. They, they also have a very well-known financial brokerage that you probably first heard about on Chappelle's show. Yeah. I should have. Was it on Showtime, the whole documentary on uh, Wu-Tang? I should have watched that. Wow. Um, that was a good, that was so good. here's here's uh, here's my question for you, Ari. It, it, like, versus is basically like going back to the idea of a battle, right? Yeah. That's pretty much what we're doing? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hold, okay, hold on. Oh, wait a minute. Cofield, Cofield's got his his Google machine out. Cofield. No, I don't. No, no. I didn't look yeah, up any I, of that. No, you didn't? No? Really? So so that's old school. They're going, they're going really old school coming up, right, Ari? Oh, yeah. The golden okay. era. Right. So I, I, I know these folks. You better. Are you into this, or is it too old? Me? Oh, absolutely. I love it. It's actually, a, I think it's a pretty good, um, comp, like, too good. Sometimes they pick two uh, groups or artists where I'm like, it's a, little, it's a little weird or forced, but this is. All right, so give us a sample. No one was going to dare to try to do it. Philip Ellie's a little high. A little high. Look at this guy. High. He's not as high as he used to be. I, I, I really like Earth, Wind, and Fire. So. He actually plays like both roles of the lead singer now. Did, did you guys just have the same vision that I'd already? Did you have the same vision that I did uh, of Steve Cofield at the roller rink? <laughs> hey, hey, Skate, cr- skating around over. to some Earth, Wind, and Fire, trying to get the confidence up to go talk to some girls. Like <laughs> this, this, this sounds to me like... An autobiography that we're reliving. It's like Easy Lover with uh, Phil Collins, too, in his <laughs> duet. Um, I actually, I love going up on YouTube and looking up old, uh, older groups and, and bands and watching old concerts. There's actually like an hour 
and 30-minute concert on YouTube of Earth, Wind, and Fire, probably like 1982 at, I think, the Oakland, whatever the Oakland Arena was called back then. So whatever, the, I forget the title sponsor now, but it was pretty cool. The crowd was very much into it. It was good stuff. And, and back then, like, the notes they could hit were insane. So who are they going against? Ice Cube. <laughs> not Ice Cube? Oh, okay. Really sure. love that lasted for so Who's going to do it? The Lakers beat the Super Sox. <laughs> well, sort of. That's pretty cool. Ooh, right? That's pretty cool. I don't who's who, who's going to win? I don't think they have a shot. To, I mean, like... Isley Brothers? Yeah, just... They're amazing. They're legends, but Earth, Wind, and Fire is like... I mean... I don't know. Should be interesting, though. It'll be entertaining. And guess who's hosting? Mr. Steve Harvey. Oh, okay. So All right. We, we're taking it back. Look at Ari. All right. Back Good in deal. The day. Why did Candy, Candy just got his brow, like, all weird? Uh, Candy went and read something for the day job while you guys were talking about that, <laughs> if you want to I'm be guessing, really honest I'm about guessing, it. Uh, yeah, Candy's not watching the battle. He's not going to carve out the time. But when you play the recap, Ari, we'll be here for you. There you there go. There you go. So make sure you put that together. John Murray's on the way. We'll get us the update uh, from behind the counter and how the books are doing in this NCAA tournament. Club 99 is presented by Dustin DeHart at Nova Home Loans. Want to talk interest rates and ask about getting your mortgage tuned up? Dustin is Cofield's real estate guy. He needs to be yours, too. Call Dustin DeHart at 577-2600. It's Cofield and Company's Eye on Sports Betty with John Murray. Check in with John after the Final Four is set. Monday, Tuesday games. John, how you doing, buddy? Good. What's going on, guys? I heard that uh, that slacker Adam Hill is not on the show again. Uh, no, he's got uh, he's got bigger things he's dealing with. He's got a bright future. He's got a bright future. I'll just say that. Uh, John Murray's with us from the Westgate. Uh, are congrats in order? Or am I going to you know get you in trouble here? Is there something brewing with Superbook Sports and someone in the Northeast, maybe my home state and the Meadowlands? What's going on here? Uh, that's coming very soon. Yeah, it's going to be a mobile-only Superbook New Jersey offering, but we will, you will have the ability to deposit and withdraw at a betting window at the Meadowlands. So uh, I, think, I think this is coming very soon. Uh, certainly going to have it in, in, you know, in place in time for the next football season, which sounds like it's going to drag on forever. But, uh, yeah, we're very, <laughs> uh, very excited about that. You know, and the business in New Jersey is awesome. It's a state that's already surpassed Nevada, and we, we want to be a part of it. Mm, there goes the meager inheritance. My father and mother still in New Jersey, so uh, dad, dad could sign up. I'm a little worried now. I'm a little worried. He likes to. I'm making all of this up. He's never gambled in his life, and he's not really a sports fan. So, but yeah, it's a it's a big deal for you guys, uh, no doubt. Um, is there a chance that uh, John Murray says, you know what, finally, because you're a very coveted individual, you know, you're a leader, uh, would you just move to Jersey and run the operations? That would be fascinating. <laughs> Come on now, North Jersey's nice. Dave, I would move to New Jersey. Yes. I've had some good times in New Jersey. I had some good times in Atlantic City as a young man, but no, I'm, okay. 
I'm pretty firmly entrenched in Nevada, Steve. Okay, I wasn't trying to get rid of you. I'm just, I was, you know, a little right. positive pitch for the Garden State, my home state. I got no issues with New Jersey. Had some good times there. Excellent, excellent. He's he's shutting it down. He's shutting it down. No more stories beyond that. All right, did you guys kill it last night? Did you or, or oh, the favorite Gonzaga just keeps covering. We did very well in the late game. You know, to have UCLA win the game outright was by far our best best case scenario, and the game went under as well. I mean, the only negative, if you're looking for one, is we do have a pretty big liability on UCLA in the futures book, but I have a feeling that that's going to be taken care of for us on Saturday evening. Uh, I'm, I'm not too worried about that. It just it was shocking watching the end of that game. It was like there was a lid on the rim. Michigan just could not make anything. And I just kept waiting for Michigan to pull away from them, and I, I give a lot of credit to UCLA for hanging on there. I couldn't believe it. Um, and I've said throughout the show, like, I'm not going to get mad at the Michigan coaches because I thought they put the players in a good position. They just didn't make shots. I mean, uh, you know, getting some th- decent threes for Wagner. Uh, they got a decent three for the point guard. They just they missed it. Um, I, I couldn't believe Dickinson, as, you know, as big as he is, and UCLA really doesn't have bigs, and he got, like, deep, deep in the lane. And then when he went up, he didn't throw it down. It was kind of weak around the rim. Yeah, and, and Wagner had a pretty good look at a three that he airballed. Oh my God! And then I, I think it was Eli Brooks got the it offensive was. rebound, and he, 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 he rushed his shot as if there was like one second left, and it was like, dude, there's nine seconds left or whatever it was. I had your guy Adam Hill. And this, is where, him, yeah. this is where Adam. I, I, we we love Adam, and he's like very objective. But as a Michigan oh, fan, yeah, yeah, I'm talking to him fair. last night. I'm talking while well, he most of the time. I'm talking to him last night on our podcast, our late night podcast, and he's like, "Well, I mean, they don't know how much time is left." I'm like, "It's part of the game. You got to know how much time is left. Like, if you get a rebound, crazy. you can't just flip it up in the air and, like you said, a fadeaway layup with like it's yeah. one second left." Well, they have to have some internal clock. I mean, maybe maybe he doesn't know whether there's five seconds or six seconds left, but he should know that there's not half a second left. So I don't, I, don't know what, I don't know what Adam Hill... Adam Hill is usually so fair, so reasonable, so measured. Uh, that's shocking <laughs> to hear something like that from Adam Hill. Ari, mark it. That's a promo right there. Thank you, John. We, we appreciate, appreciate that one. Uh, if anyone... Uh, if it wasn't obvious by now, I actually had in-game Michigan one and a half, and you know, I knew it was, was going to go down to the wire, and I'm like, how many layups can this team miss? So... You mentioned you think that the liability on UCLA will be taken care of by Gonzaga. Before we get to that, what were the biggest numbers that you were offering on UCLA for the national title during the season? Well, you know where they were really hitting us was before last night when they were they were all the way down to fifty to one, which was yeah. uh, down. That's where most of the liability was built from. But we did have at one point we had five hundred to one on Woo-hoo. UCLA. Some tickets at one hundred to one, eighty to one, but it was. It was really like last night and the day before at 45 and 50 to 1 after they made it to the Elite Eight. And they still have a long road to go through, you know, if we think they could get through Gonzaga as a 14-point underdog, and they'd be a pretty big underdog in a, in a final game as well, regardless of who wins the first semifinal. So it's hard to picture, not impossible. And we had a big liability on Michigan as well. So we're, we're fine with, uh, with the result of last night's game because we did win a lot of money on the, on the game last night. Why can't UCLA beat Gonzaga? Well, you already kind of mentioned it, but they don't have a lot of big men outside of Riley. You know, Gonzaga's got some, some really good big guys uh, down low, and it's just it's hard for me to picture them weathering the storm inside. I mean, Michigan missed so many very makeable baskets, we'll call them, and I, I just don't see Gonzaga doing that as well. You're a big college basketball fan. Mm-hmm. Do you like the comparisons of Gonzaga to great teams of the past, or is it sort of absurd? 
I don't know how you can com- like I see people comparing these teams from teams like 30 years ago. Well, you know, the, the teams 30 years ago. First of all, nobody understood the value of the three pointer 30 years ago. Right. And second of all, the best players in college basketball stayed to be juniors and seniors 30 years ago. So no, I think the comparisons are, are ridiculous and. I am not going to make a hypothetical futures line for you, Steve. That's what, if that's what you're, you're, you're taking me towards, I refuse to do it. I've got uh, UNLV. The, the dumbest year conversation in sports betting. Yeah, Rebels, uh, well, I'm going to go with it. Uh, Rebels, the year they won the national championship, uh, yeah. minus 17 against Gonzaga. Well, wasn't, a, wasn't the Rebels it's be absurd. next year? Uh, the Rebels they, team the following season was much better, right? They were better, yeah, but so just, they didn't do it. they didn't win the championship. Yeah. But No, I, I don't agree with that number. This is 30 years in the future. These guys actually understand the value of three-pointers now. Uh, I, I would disagree with you. But now, look what you've done to me. You've gotten yep, me involved in these conversations that I think are so dumb. Uh, good job. Larry Johnson against Drew Timmy. <laughs> Larry Johnson's over/under yeah. points and rebounds sixty and a half. He would go thirty-one right. points and thirty rebounds. Oh well, Larry Johnson's an old man now, Steve. That's I, a good I, point. I yes, yes. So, I'll, I'll knock it down. Over/under thirteen. <laughs> Combined points yeah. and rebounds. Uh, I look at the other game, and I, I also think it's one-sided. I think the number's too low. I, I think Baylor is going to smoke Houston, and I'm not going to get into the quality of the opponents, but that is certainly just something to talk about: the quality of the opponents in the tournament. I just I don't love. Houston's brand of basketball with the kind of dump and chase against this Baylor team. Well, I saw a stat on uh, the fine program Daily Wager this afternoon. That oh, said, okay. you know, Houston hasn't played uh, a single-digit seed yet in this tournament. You know, yeah. they, they got a very favorable draw. The one, the three, and the four in their region all went down in the second round, and they've kind of cruised into the final four. Both these teams are very, very good defensively on the perimeter. So, you know, points points should be at a premium in this game. We opened the total 136.5, which we thought was pretty low, and it's already been bet down to 134. So definitely a very, very good defensive matchup. I could see this one going either way. But, but Baylor's a team, they're very battle-tested. They, they played through the Big 12 the whole season. They had, I think, a much tougher road to the Final Four than Houston did. Right. They beat a good Arkansas team in the regional final. And they beat a good Villanova team in the regional semifinal. So I definitely trust Baylor a little bit more than Houston. Going behind the counter, Westgate, Superbook Sports. It's John Murray who's with us. We've got to go back to Gonzaga for a second, and the fact that we've now got a Final Four with Gonzaga and Baylor could be on the collision course for the title. Let's go back to that prop that was up all over town, Gonzaga and Baylor against the field. I will mention Mr. Hill again. Adam said uh, just a couple days ago, uh, you know, originally he had taken the field. He got the hell out of it and was willing to just take a small loss because he's like, I'm screwed now. So what? where are you guys on that? Are you, you know, uh, we, don't, we, we didn't have that prop up. You never put state, it up. But, uh, you know, obviously that, that's I, I like the field myself. When yep. We talked about it a couple months ago. Yep. We didn't think Illinois was going to lose in the second round of the tournament. But, no, I mean, uh, bottom line, that wasn't a good bet. The, the, the right side was Gonzaga and Baylor. Gonzaga looks like they're head and shoulders above everybody else. Baylor's right there, right there with them as the second best team in the country. And Mr. Hill was wise to get off that boat. Good for him getting off that that position. Are you guys doing anything big for a Final Four weekend? You know, we've got minus one hundred and five juice on the sides nice. uh, in both uh, both here in, La- in La- Nevada and in Colorado. So you can bet minus one hundred and five both semifinal games at the Superbook and on the title game Monday night. I tried to make it minus one hundred and four in honor of the Final Four. And I was rejected. So I guess I don't have a future in marketing. I don't know what's going on here. Uh, Would you like to close out today's spot with odds talk about Ben Askren and Jake Paul, or are you very fired (laughs) up about 
over under win totals around Major yeah. League Baseball? Are you getting hit in baseball? A lot of sharp bets on the Royals. You know, they're they're really hitting us on the Royals. I, I don't have it in front of me. I think it was like. 63, 63 and a half, and 64. And they bet the Royals to win the division, and I want to say 50 to 1. Some really respected players on the Kansas City Royals. I get people making fun of me for, I keep talking about this Askren Paul fight, but the bottom line is we're writing a lot of money on that fight. There's a lot of interest in that fight. People are talking about it. We're, we're, our handle is going to be through the roof. Uh, I think we're going to do a, good, a tremendous amount of business, and it says a lot about the state of boxing that that's going to be the most heavily bet boxing fight of the first six months of this year when it's a YouTube guy and an ex-UFC fighter, and that's going to write more money than any boxing fight first half of 2021. Oh, boy. Yeah, I was so into it that I think I bet it, like, the whatever, the first three days it came out. I think I got Askren at 200 or 210. Yeah, we're all the way down to Paul minus 125. Yeah. Uh, But we're taking some big bets on Paul. I mean, we had had two guys come in. Really? Two guys come in, I want to say, what is today, Wednesday? Two guys came in Monday, and they bet 9000 and 9000 on Paul. And that might not sound like a lot in the grand scheme of things, but I'd say it's quite a bit for a, for a, for for like a, a YouTube fighter. fighter. Between a YouTuber and an right. ex-fighter, I mean, I would say that's a lot of money. And, uh, and especially when you consider that the fight is three and a half weeks away. Yes. I think as you get closer to the fight, you're going to see a lot, a lot of money coming into that thing. That's so crazy. Uh, Jake Paul, I saw the other day. And he's the master of hype, said if McGregor loses again to Poirier, he's calling out Poirier. Let's go. I would uh, favor Dustin Poirier in that, like, in that, that minus, fight. Minus 125 against Jake Paul? Uh, <laughs> a little higher. <laughs> Although Jake Paul is quite a bit bigger than, uh, than Dustin Poirier. Yes, he is. Yeah, I noticed the, uh, the size difference. Uh, Askren's not a tall guy, but uh, mm-hmm. Jake Paul, he might have been wearing a little, some lifts or a, you know, some boots there, but he, right. he appeared to be closer to like 6'1", 6'2", as, a, as compared to Askren. So. Yeah, I think he's more like, I think when he fights, he's more like 200 pounds, 6'1"-ish. Yes, yes. All right, John, we appreciate it. All right, guys. There he is, Westgate, Superbook Sports. Yes, quite the commentary on combat sports that a YouTube fighter – against a guy who's just about out of MMA is uh, going to be one of the bigger boxing matches of the year. Yikes. Cofield and company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas.